Today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Budget Blinds! Jason, I know you know it, but we got to say it again. Budget Blinds of Lee Summit is your home for signature series shades. All hail those robot shade overlords. Hey, look, it is now, I'm going to go ahead and say it, it's it's mid-April. We're it in is, spring. We are, as we, the, the day after this releases, will be the official last frost date for our region. Some Somebody in my house is a gardener and knows these things. <laughs> Somebody's been reading the Farmer's Almanac. Someone's been reading the Farmer's Almanac. So we know it's spring. It's open window time. And it is. And you if- don't want to have to mess with your shades, like go back and forth and get it up and down for all the sun, when you could just do it from your phone. There you go. Spring automation. And Jason, another reminder, if you have friends and family who chose to live on that eh, other side of the state line, you know, 20 way, minutes from if us. If you're still friends and family with them, even though they've moved to Kansas, you are a, a kind soul and deserve thanks. But here's something to help them out. A new budget blind storefront will be opening in Overland Park next month. So coming in May, you've got the ultimate Budget Blinds of Lee Summit, and then you've got their partner store, Budget Blinds in Overland Park. So if you are ready to make your home a smart home, go visit our friends at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit right in the heart of downtown. Tell them Jason Nick sent you. Hello again, and welcome to Lee Summit Town Hall, a weekly podcast about what you can do to make a difference. I'm Jason Norbury, and as always, I am joined by a man who is just as good a catcher as Salvador Perez, or at least in his fevered memories he is. It's Nick Parker, <laughs> the publisher of Link to Lee Summit. I don't even have those make-believe memories, man. Did you ever, I'm sure you must have closed out some game in high school as a catcher, taking a ground ball off your chest protector, or a, gr- a pitch off the ground, off your chest protector, off the batter, picked it up, whipped it to third, and picked a guy off to end the game. That has happened to you at least twice, right? I made a couple of game ending outs in my youth, but never anything as awesome as that play from our, I've, our I'm fairly sure I've, I've made some game ending outs, but it's usually while hitting. So. <laughs> Link to Lee Summit is, as it has been for these last several years, the source for all the news you need about our very fine city. And our unofficial sponsor today is the return of soccer to Kansas City. Not only is this weekend the season opener for Sporting Kansas City, but we have, as of this last week, an official return to play for a professional women's team. Uh, The very poorly and only temporarily named Casey Woso, they don't have an official name yet, um, is there was a sort of a, a hurried assemblage of the team this year, but they are back. Um, so you can see two different brands of professional soccer, three, if you count the sporting KC two. So soccer is back for Kansas city as well as baseball. So you sports lovers, you have more to choose from. There we go. Hey, and you, you know, you said link to the summit, the source for local news. We just posted, this is Wednesday morning. We just posted some, some news on the site, Jason, the performing arts space, the the downtown market space, that can, development, hold on, the can market I, plaza development. Can I call it what we've been forward. calling it for five years or more? We're gonna put it. We're gonna put it out there now. No, no. we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. I'm gonna do it right now. Spacey McSpace face. <laughs> That's what we've the, been calling it for years and years and years. From a small group of downtowners, but Jason, this is exciting. Um, a big step forward. The there was an RFP put out by the city for for a master developer partner and for a management partner, and 
and two companies were were recommended to the Finance and Budget Committee of the Lee Summit City Council, and that was approved on Monday. So coming April 20th, probably, probably that'll go before City Council for the final approval of Lane 4 as the master developer and then a, a management group. And so we'll see. And Jason, look, it's still going to be a while before we see like, you know, dirt turning and things happening, but this is a big step. I keep moving the goalposts on when I'm going to believe it's real. And like, I keep saying, oh, maybe when they get the land bud and when we get somebody who's actually going to, you know, a developer who's going to actually do the thing and I'm kicking it back again to when dirt turns and we'll see where I go from after dirt is turned um, to do that. So, uh, but yes, it's, it is making progress, even though I continue to try to prevent disappointment by pretending it's not yet real. Uh, another thing happening this week, Jason, uh, when about a year or so ago, uh, Mayor Bill Baird talked about uh, instituting a new commission for the city that was going to look at inclusion and diversity in our community. Well, the inaugural meeting for this group is going to happen this week. That's happening on the 14th. So that's another thing that, that he started, I think, that's going to going to get going. And we'll see how that, that conversation goes in our community. Boy, there's a lot of politics that happened in the middle between that announcement and this uh, this first meeting. But I'm glad that they are getting together and and hopefully we'll get some good productive and and actual change out of that as opposed to just a lot of hand waving and uh, and talk around the issues. Let's do some stuff that actually makes a difference uh, in the city. We I hope that that commission has that that capacity or the the city council takes the charge and the recommendations from that commission with the, the weight that they are going to deserve. So the other thing we wanted, we didn't really talk about the election uh, last week. There sort of as a wrap up, we, we gave you the results. We know that Ryan Murdoch and Roderick Sparks uh, won election to the school board and we'll be taking on, but we thought maybe we'll take a couple of moments here this week to talk about just maybe like reflecting on that. What are maybe some of the themes or ideas that maybe will will change or what the maybe we're taking some guesses at what the the electorate was seeing and thinking when they made their choices for for those for those two candidates i have i have a question for you jason just kind of as you as you do kind of look back at it and and your kind of opinion and, and analysis were you surprised a little bit based on the the vitriol and fervor that came surrounding the current school board and the the response to the pandemic and how, and the the in school virtual school were you surprised that the incumbent and current board president Ryan Murdoch was the top vote getter and and retains his seat um i always say i was a little surprised but not that much there were two things one is these local elections as we have bemoaned many many times are low turnout affairs that often are run on name recognition name recognition matters as much or more than almost anything else it's like do i know who this person is and they know who that is and i think that people's frustration with the district over the last year is more just a i i would think and the people i've talked to tends to be just a frustration with the impact that the pandemic has had on their their lives it has been an upheaving and upsetting process for you know, everybody, essentially, the teachers, the staff, the administration, the students, the parents, you name it, everybody's lives were, you know, chucked up in the air and fell as down. You in have, some as way. you have often said on this show, COVID ruined everything, COVID ruined everything. And so it's, I mean, it just changed and messed up all kinds of stuff. And, and 
and that level of uncertainty, but I mean, literally was coming down by day by day, week by week, as we were learning about the sciences, the rates of, you know, testing and cases changing and what have you caused a lot of change in there. And I don't think people blamed the school district for, or blamed, uh, blamed Ryan Murdoch specifically for that change as they went through that process. And, and to be fair to Ryan, I thought he had, he came on our show several times, explained, you know, stood up to our questions, explained when they got right in our interview, he explained what they got wrong, right? What he thought they could have done better and what they would try to do better in the future. People listen to that sort of stuff. But in the end, you know, name recognition matters a lot, which is actually why I was a little bit more surprised that Roderick Sparks won, um, given I, I would say generally in this community, a name recognition deficit to Christine Bushyhead, um, one of the other candidate candidates who, who finished in third, just a few votes behind. 76 votes separated those two. So, but I will say this, I'm taking that, there are, I think, two things to to look at from a, from a sort of looking back at it with a, a little bit higher altitude lens. So one is, this is, we now have two people of color on our school board, which is pretty close to a representative sample for what the student body looks like. Uh, the last estimates were about 25% of the student body identify as a person of color. Um, and now we have two of seven, which is just a little over 25% of, of the board being the same way. That matters. And it may be something that our community was reacting to when attempting to help maybe balance that and put those views on the dais. And the other one, and, and this one's I, oh, a little bit more of a bank shot. But the two candidates who won were the two candidates who most strongly supported the continuing work of the equity plan. And, you know, I think given you know, the, the one candidate who, who left the board was not an ardent supporter of the plan from the get-go, um, coming in with people who are more, you know, being replaced by someone who was a more vocal supporter of the work, is should have an impact on the the you know and, and probably ensures that the district will continue on this path um, in the next year um, as we go forward. So those are the things I see, sort of just looking back on it and and thinking about it. And those are you know some of that is is reading tea leaves and guesswork, not science. But uh, but those are you know a couple of correlations I saw as we went through. I think it'll be interesting to see how that conversation continues. I I, I think you're right. Those were the two that 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 you know mostly wanted to continue the the current direction of, of of the equity plan but they but also both of those candidates had had some 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 thoughts about what to add to it right and and, and what they can do in addition to to that current current direction so we're going to see how that how that continues um it is and i think this this also goes along with what we what we said earlier with the new uh city commission on diversity and inclusion. I, I I think what we've seen it is that's a topic in our community that's not going anywhere. No. And, we have we have more to, we have I, more to talk about and we've I, got more work to do. And I and I think the the people now after a couple of elections where that's been a topic, right? The people have said that that there's still some some conversations, discussion and even action that needs to be happened. So we'll continue to follow that as it, as it goes along. Jason, the only other thing we have for today is an interview. We brought back a, a return guest, Ben Rayo, a local entrepreneur. Uh, you might know him as the man who redeveloped the former downtown post office into a co-working space, bridge space. He has a couple other businesses and Jason, he can now add author 
to his list of titles. So we're going to talk to Ben a little bit about his new book and the work he's doing in the field of elder care. Ben Rayo, welcome back to Lee Summit Town Hall. It's good to have you. Welcome back. It's been a while. It's been a long time. It's probably actually, been two years. Actually, can I just tell you, this is my first daylight recording in the studio in a year. What does that mean, daylight? Well, so I've been coming back for one show, one of my podcasts, but we do it in the evenings when nobody else is here, but this feels good. Yeah. During the day, there's people moving around. There are, yeah. I'm Two excited. days ago, I think there was 25, 30 people moving around this place. It started to feel like the old days. I'm excited to be back. I will be, be back in Bridge Space a lot more often now. I'm excited. Always glad to have you there. You know what else is exciting? What? Congratulations. It is your cancer-free anniversary, I saw. It is. Thank you. Yeah. That's, it's, um, yeah, today is uh, 11 years cancer-free. It's um, When I was typing that post this morning to put it in Facebook, I actually started to get a little bit, a little bit choked up um, as I was you know, hey, my wife, and my kids, and putting some of that stuff, and it's um, yeah, you know, it's a big deal. Melanoma, um, you know, people think, you know, a mole on your body, no big deal. They're just going to scrape it off. But depending on which stage, you know, a mole on your on your surface is stage one. I was stage three, which means it had already gone deep into my skin and into my lymphatic system. And, and those those can move fast. So get it, checked, people. It did. It did. I um, I probably would not be here. For sure, because it already it already metastasized to my lymph nodes and had a couple surgeries, and uh, but now I'm here and everything's good. For better or worse, you're here with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations! I think that Thanks. that is that is worth celebrating. It's worth celebrating publicly. So I wanted to make sure we we did I, that. I appreciate that. You're also here because if if I had sound effects, I'd do a drum roll. You wrote a book, Ben Rayo. I wrote a book. You're an author. I am published and Amazon. Bestseller in four different categories. Woo! How about that? How that about is, that, that's, right? that's pretty cool. So Now, I, that should be encouraging to anybody. If I can do it, anybody <laughs> can. Look, if Ben Rayo can string together six or seven words into one <laughs> sentence. <laughs> With the right punctuation and no no voice-to-text or grammatical errors. Did, how, how did you write? Did you write voice-to-text? Um, for some of it, I did. Um, I did some recording and uploaded it to Rev and had it transcribed. And some of it, I banged out and wrote. And um, it was about a it was about a nine or ten month process. Well, the book is. Let's let's start with the title. The title yeah. of the of your book is is paying for long term care. And this is in that you have moved into the elder care world over the last. Can I say what two years? Yeah, two years. Yeah. Two years, probably not something you intended to do as as a business owner. <laughs> no, no. Um, you know, I was always around the non for profit space uh, in a senior world because of my mother. Um, she was in that she was in that space my entire life, uh, but it was nothing I was ever really a part of. And um, I got involved in the senior living industry through a company that came through Bridgebase that hired me to be a consultant for them for for two or three months they're trying to get some things organized and um yeah that's it that's an interesting path to me i was i was thinking about that this morning as i, as I was preparing for this and it's you went you know you are we've talked about this before you're a bit of a serial entrepreneur you like to start things up and and, and do new businesses but you went from running you still run bridge space but you had a member here in bridge space that that works in the elder care and insurance world and this is who you were working with as a consultant and, yeah. you, and, and, and now you have since become a partner in that business. I have. I have. So, and then you started up another 
elder business in that in that world, and that really led then to the book. So walk us through kind of that sure. that process a little bit. I mean, I think everything in my entire life, from a entrepreneurship perspective, always builds. It always builds, no matter what. You know, I started in technology. I got into real estate investment. Um, then, then I built community buying group and, and sold that at the end of 17, bought the old post office built, you know, that was, that was what a challenging project it was for bridge space. You know, it was so far over budget. It was like, it, it almost got to the point that, oh my gosh, am I going to get through this or not? <laughs> um, when you're 300,000 over budget, it's, it's uh, it, it can, it can make a dent. Um, I always had the vision that with bridge space that, you know, bridge space was, wasn't really a project for me to build that that's where I was going to spend my time. And that was my business. Um, I still have the real estate investment stuff. Um, it was, it was something to help the community to help us, you know, create more jobs and recycle our dollars here in our local community and, and try to encourage and give resources to small businesses so that we could, we could help them grow and incubate and move from the nest at bridge space out into, um, other, spaces here in Lee Summit and, and create more jobs. And I knew that at some point that there would be some connection because of bridge space to somebody somewhere that made sense that it would be a good fit for me to jump in and help somebody grow a company. So when Family Solutions for Care moved in and they had four or five employees at the time, um, I didn't actually recognize it. The founder of David of Family Solutions for Care said, hey, with Community Buying Group, you did this and you had all this affiliate network you built and you had this and you did this and this and this. Those are areas where we really need help. And maybe you could help us as a coach or a consultant. And that's just kind of how it evolved. And I started to jump in and help a little bit and a little bit more and then got really involved. And I really saw that I like this business. Um, what we do at Family Solutions for Care is that we help families that have a senior that is transitioning into senior living. So somebody that's moving out of a home typically in or home health care into assisted living, memory care, somewhere where somebody's moving in. And the adult children are 55 to 65 years old. Right. And they're helping their parent typically to move into care. And if somebody would had enough forethought and, and, and uh, bought a long-term care policy 20 years ago, they've been paying this policy year after year, and now it's time to use it. That industry was... Was, and by uh, the way, it's not just a decision of how to use it. I mean, that's a confusing process to get through. It, it really is. It's not like, uh, and I knew nothing about it, by the way. Um, I, um, I'm like, no, it's, you know, how's this, why is this hard? It, you know, you have an accident in your car, you just submit to the insurance company, no problem. Um, I've been paying, you have a life insurance policy, you die. Oh, okay. The life insurance policy pays out. With long-term care insurance, you have to meet certain um, different different um, they're called ADLs and um, different living uh, daily activity living that you I can't I can't get up to go to the restroom by myself I can't transfer out of bed I can't um, I have issue um, transport is what they call it to be able to, to move around so there's six of these ADLs and these policies you have to qualify so they have somebody come out and look to make sure you're qualifying but the paperwork's not simple and something something happened in the long-term care insurance market there were hundreds of companies that were selling long-term care insurance and then all of a sudden they realized uh-oh we only thought about 20 percent of the people were going to use this policy and it was more like 40 or 50 and so they realized that this this product is was not from an actuarial perspective they didn't do a good job and so as 200 companies consolidated down into 12 and it didn't mean those benefits went away there's things in place so so right. people have protection 
um, for insurance companies, but they just started to be this big consolidation. And then there's there's the big companies that really wrote high quality policies, and then there was these a lot of other companies that wrote policies that weren't that great. Well, I would imagine with you know one or two hundred different companies, not all the policies match. So there's when you a, consolidate, they the, don't they don't all read the same. They don't. There's about four hundred thousand variations of policies based on that. You take a policy, and it may have three or four different types of riders on it. And each year that policy might have a couple variations. And then you do this where maybe there was five or six offerings that had riders on each. And you do this with 200 companies and you do this over 10 or 15 years, you end up with this just big hodgepodge of all these different things. You know, they didn't have assisted living 20 years ago. They didn't call it that. It didn't exist. Right. Policies might not say assisted living and an insurance company might say, oh, this doesn't qualify for assisted living. Um, you know, you, you know, a lot of the vernaculars changed. Um, but what, what, what this company, what Family Solutions for Care uh, really has the ability to do is the experience to look through all the different policies and understand the language there and align that with the level of care that they need and where they're going and be able to be an advocate for families to help to fight the insurance companies to make sure the insurance companies pay what they're supposed to. These people Which is really for- what people need is, is that, that advocate part. They right. do. Somebody they, who knows how to how to fight for whatever it is that you are entitled because of your your planning. I've heard stories of people that have spent more than a hundred hours trying to communicate with an insurance company. You know, stuff's being moved to the Philippines, call centers, reduced costs, or trying to offset losses. You know, on this product, um, you know, make, making it difficult on purpose. I don't know, but it's not simple. Um, if you fill out the paperwork wrong, they're going to say it's, you know, they're going to send it back and you start the cycle back over again. Um, even people in the senior living industry don't have a lot of expertise in doing the paperwork at a simplicity level. Yes, you have an invoice and we send it in and the insurance company pays it. Um, but what happens to all the care that they received before the time that they moved into assisted living? And that's another part of what we do. We have the ability to go back for two years and do a retroactive look back to see if any of the care that they paid for, typically out of pocket, um, in the previous two years would qualify under the policy and get those families a refund. And so many times, that over can, that o- can be huge. It is uh, over fifty percent of the of the clients we work with get a refund um, of over twenty thousand dollars. So that's money that's being left on the table that the care communities don't have the capacity, interest. They're not going to go back and look at what happened before they came in. So I, I got involved with it because of the mission of the company. Um, you know, Dave and Wendy Reinhardt, the, the, my partners in that company, uh, came out of Genworth, which is owned by GE, one of the largest underwriters for long-term care insurance. And um, so it's a great company. Um, we've added, in the last year and a half, we've added 10 employees into that company here. In, in, it's based here in Lee That's Summit. great growth. It is. It is. Um, so it's been, you know, those are 10 jobs that we've created here in Lee Summit. Um, it's been great to see. You know, that's exactly what we wanted to have happen with Bridge Space. People come in, get connections, resources, and help them grow. We've had four or five companies move in and move back out because they got too big. Um, so that's, that, that's, that's, you know, losing. Which is sad, but happy. <laughs> yeah, losing a customer is exactly what we're trying to accomplish right. here, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm never leaving you. And, yeah, well, it's like gum on my shoe. I can't get rid of it. I, I want to I shift just a little bit because yeah. then at, at another point, though, you merged your, your real estate skills and interests mm-hmm. into a different business that's also in the same kind of elder care it, it sphere and that's that's mom's house yeah mom's house so how did that how did that kind of 
evolve into into something? Uh, that that evolved with my partner Philip, who is uh, with Mom's House, um, and he's in St. Louis. And for the last seven or eight years, he has been focusing on working with people in the senior living industry locally in St. Louis. So we're talking elder law attorneys, we're talking uh, care communities. Um, downsizing agents, placement agents, anybody that's working with a family that has a senior that's about to transition into assisted living or memory care. And when that happens, many times, as, as we all know, the man always dies first and the woman is left. Um, and so she may live in the house for another five or six years. Maybe it's a little bit under-maintained. Um, you know, that the, the, the place is filled with stuff. You know, the, the she's widowed and her spouse had hobbies and things and the basements filled with stuff and the kids rooms and collections and all these represent memories. But it's also when a senior moves from 2,500 square feet into 150 square feet, they can't bring everything with them. And so the stuff becomes very, very emotional as part of it. One of the more, more, more difficult things with families to have to, to have to deal with is what are we going to do with the stuff? Are we going to save it? Who's taking what? And then that becomes, a hurdle for families so we've got a house that's a little bit under maintained it's probably not it's not been updated it's grandma clean though right, right? <laughs> it's got it's got beautiful avocado appliances within the burners look like they're brand new it's perfect right <laughs> uh you know the, it, it, with all the stuff and you've got all those things and at that point the adult children again 50 50s to 60s on average live over 400 miles away so now we have a house that we have to do something with it's not retail ready and we got to move mom into senior care. And the way this happens, Nick, is, is it's like you and I are brothers. And you get a phone call and it says, hey, yeah, we're going we're gonna to discharge mom today from the hospital, but she's not, she, she has to go to care. She's not going home. Yeah. And, you're getting, and then you call me and, I, and you say, hey, mom's got to go to assisted living. And we're like, okay, what do we do? What, what do, we do? I don't, what, so what's that mean? You're like, I don't know what it means. <laughs> I, I, you know, we, we hadn't talked about this. We hadn't planned for it. I thought mom was going to go home. You know, it's, um, and let's say that you live local and I don't, which is very common, you know, so right. you're, you're the one that's, that's stuck with some of this burden because you're, you're here locally. And so now we have to figure out where we're, where we're going to get mom placed, what kind of care she needs, where she's going to go. And typically when somebody moves into assisted living, it's probably the last two to three years of their life. You don't move into assisted living be when because you're healthy, right? You don't go to a nursing home or skilled nursing because you're you're healthy. This is this is just what it is. It's the last part of right. somebody's life typically, and so we have to figure this out. And we don't really know anything. And then we say we find out how much it's going to cost, and it's going to cost anywhere from three to twelve thousand dollars a month. And so what Philip did was really make these trusted connections with everybody working with families. And when that house was there, it's a great option for a real estate investor to be able to help solve a problem for the family and for the care community. The care community wants people to move in. You know, think of it almost like a rental business, right? right? They've got so many rooms, they need to keep the occupancy high and they want people to move in as quickly as possible. Over here, we have a family that has a, has a house and many times they need to sell it to get access to that cash to pay for care. And so as a real estate investor, we can come in and say, look, we'll buy the house as is. You don't have to fix anything. You take anything that you want, anything that you don't want, you can leave behind and we'll take care of that. And so solving that problem is what we're doing with mom's house. We're training real estate 
investment people all over the country, not agents, but people that are buying and flipping houses or holding and or wholesaling. We're teaching them how to engage with the senior living industry in the right way with sensitivity. And, and so we do that through a three-day certification course that's about 30 hours that we teach them how to engage with senior market, what not to say, where to meet them, what they need, what they need help with, what the personas are, um, you know, what the emotional crisis—it's called crisis mode that the family's going through. Right, and to be clear, this is not mom's house is not the investment company. This is you are you are training other we're, investors. We're, we're an educational to, company to, to be into that in that field. That's in that right. Sphere. So we do that. We do that all over the country, um, and so we have people that are certified in different markets, and they become certified after they go through a three-day class. Uh, and then we also work with the senior living industry at a national level where we're developing relationships nationally, regionally, locally with people that are referring families to mom's house. And we're making sure they get connected to somebody that's been through our training that we know that we can trust is going to take care of the family. What's the response been like? I mean, you know, creating a certification that didn't exist and and, and in, a, in another podcast where in the, in the beer world, we've talked to, to some people who are doing this kind of thing. You know how that's that's hard to create a, a and give value to a certification that hasn't existed before. What's yeah. that? What's that been like? Uh, it's it's actually been really well received. Um, you know, F- Philip's been doing it for a long time. Um, you know, I I'd, I'd already been into the industry for for a while and really started to understand it. And um, you know, putting on education and training because I've done business coaching and been a part of many mastermind groups and done that. It, it wasn't, it didn't feel that hard to put it together. Um, does it have the level of certification that other things have? Not yet. Not yet. Um, we haven't reached a hundred markets yet, but I think we'll, I think we're going to, I think we'll be at a hundred, maybe 120 uh, markets by the end of the year. That's a great goal. Um, our goal is, is 600. Wow. Uh, we think 600 will have the right coverage. Um, you know, there's, and it may move faster. I mean, things have really picked up in the last 30 days um, with that. Um, people are starting to understand it more. Um, I'm on a lot of podcasts talking about the senior living industry and talking about that, mostly about those, about just what families are going through. Um, I went through, I went through the challenges with my stepfather six, seven years ago where he got sick at home. And so we had to find up home health care company to come in and take care of him and then he got worse and he was kind of a large man and so we had to get a larger home health care person to help to transport him get him out of bed and the the small woman that was more of a you know nurse and companion wasn't going to work um and then we just realized he's got to go into assisted living and then so it's like how do you research that how do you pay for it what's going on what do we do what do we what are we looking for we I, I knew, knew nothing. And there's a lot of pressure in those decisions, and you feel like you have to move fast. Um, you feel like you have to move fast. You feel guilt. Um, you know, I don't want to make a mistake. Um, how are we going to pay for it? I have no idea what resources he had. I didn't know anything about his banking. I didn't know anything about any assets he had besides I knew he had a house. Uh, you know, he had a car. He had a house. Um, you know, found out later that he had a few stocks, that he had a, a small life insurance policy. Um, you know, had some cash in the freezer, someone in the mattress. Um, and um, so then we started to look to see how, uh, yeah, how do you, how do you qualify for Medicaid? You know, is, is, uh, well, you have to be poor. So you have to do what's called. And there's a spend down. There's a spend down. And so we, you have to spend all of your assets so then you can qualify for Medicaid. So then you can rely on the government for the rest of your life. 
And so um, I didn't know anything about any of that. And uh, he was he was only in assisted living for about 12 months, maybe not even that long. It may have been more like eight. And then um, we brought him home for hospice. And uh, within a week after he came home, we, he passed. And so I went through that whole process not knowing what I was going through until I got involved with Family Solutions for Care in Mom's House and really started to understand that whole process. And just looking at those is what, is what inspired me to say, I have to help, I have to help families. I, I, I'm, I'm going to write a book. Who am I to write a book? Who am I, right? I'm going to write a book to make it easy to understand so people have a framework that they can work through. And, and so in the book, I've created a framework that families can follow that make it a lot easier so there's less confusion and stress on how to evaluate what level of care that you need, how to define all the assets. And once you do those two things first, then you get to the part of, okay, what are my options to pay for care? Is there VA aid in attendance? Is it Medicaid? Is it a life insurance policy with a long-term care rider? Is it HSA? Is it savings, retirement stocks, you know, private pays type stuff? Do I need to sell the house? Do I have a long-term care insurance policy? You know, all of these things. Well, even just listing those decisions is helpful, right? Like these are things I have to decide because really when it's happening, you're just staring wide-eyed hoping you catch everything. And when we talk about the demographic or where we are right now, and we're just kind of on the front end of the silver tsunami, right? Right. And um, those people... Which, by the way, my my 70-something mother doesn't like it when I use that phrase. Yeah, I know. Sometimes (laughs) uh, it it is looked at um, negatively. Um, I think it's a I, I think it's a good analogy, but it's maybe a little insensitive that it's that this group of seniors that are coming on from baby boomers that this is a negative thing. It's going to wipe us out. But we do we do need to be aware that um, it's going to put pressure on our care system, um, caretakers, number of beds. Are we going to age in place? How are we going to pay for this? These are all things that we're going to feel pressure as a country just because of the number of seniors that are coming our way you know, over the next 30 years. Right. By, by 2050, the largest population segment is going to be over 65. And so now we're going to have 20% at over 65 and 20% under 18. And that leaves the rest of us in that 60% to take care of care, jobs, our country's, you know, our, our country's growth and revenue and, and what we do, you know, so it's, it's important. I mean, people need to understand it. And so paying for care is Paying for care is really expensive. You want to take a guess on what 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 uh, state is the most expensive for assisted living? Well, I, I, logic tells me I'm going to guess Florida, just because that's where everybody retires. But I don't. I but I'm betting I'm wrong. You are. You you're you're not even close. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's it's Alaska. And um, I read something recently that uh, is that just physical that, that distance was, from that, from the. It's, it's probably my from guess. the grid of care. It's, I think I don't I don't know what it is. I think it's probably you know everything costs more in Alaska because it's probably uh, proximity, right? Um, you know, less resources. It's three hundred thousand dollars a year. Woo. Um, DC is is the is expensive as well. What are we talking here in the Midwest? We're we're right in the middle of the country. Um, I think I think it, well, so it depends on level of care. So right. you've got two types. You've got two two directions here. You've got you've got private pay which means people plan and have money. So that's long-term care insurance. I have, I have assets, I have resources I can pay privately. Or on the other side is, is going to be Medicaid, VA aid in attendance. Now, you can mix VA aid in attendance with some different things, so I don't want to go too deep. But 
Um, in the book, I lay that out so people understand what the different options are to pay. So now that you know what assets you have, you understand what you can afford and what your options would be. And then we talk in terms of the next one is kind of getting the family all on the same page and understanding how how to kind of go through this process and what we, what we do as family members together and working towards the same goal and making sure we're involving the senior in this, not treating them like a child. Um, and then in the in the last part, um, I really start to talk about, I'm really encouraged by the technology that I see coming on and into the senior space, um, just from things where, you know, companionship or monitoring systems or different things that can help us. You know, aging in place is probably going to be one of our big solutions to how we're going to how we're going to. You know, I read recently that there may be that some trends are showing maybe a return to the multi generational living, which is something that we've as a as a culture have gone away from the last couple generations. But that 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 may be trending back to where Ben, your your parents come live with you. Well, I am. Thankful to say that my mother was a planner, and because she was in the industry, she has a beautiful, beautiful long-term care insurance policy. Um, but I'll give you an idea of what's going on there. So um, she's got a really, really nice policy. I mean, really high-end. It's like $12,000 a month. I'm like, yeah, mom! <laughs> Way to go, you mom! Go, girl! <laughs> right? And then there's my dad over here, right? Uh, the, the, uh, the thing that's interesting is... Uh, about a year ago, she called me and said, hey, my policy is going from, and she's 70, she's going from 73, she's 73, 72, 73, somewhere in there. Um, she, she was having a birthday and policy was coming up for renewal and it went from 3,200 to 4,800. Doesn't sound like that much, but that's a significant increase. Hey, your policy is going up $1,600 a year. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what's happening. So either people are having to take options and say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull my policy back and have less coverage or people are dropping their policies, or they can't keep up with it, or they're taking off um, you know, different different riders and different things to help reduce the, the cost of that. Because um, a lot of people are on budget. Right. And those are hard decisions to make. They are. What's, uh, as, you, as you went through the, 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 the writing process, what are maybe some things that you, you, you learned, like new things that um, it led you to? I, you know, I, I think it, it um, you know, the framework of, of really laying out what I thought the right framework would be was not something that I had dialed in yet until I really got into this pretty deep. And then I also worked with quite a few senior living industry experts all over the country. You know, some of them reviewed the book when I got the manuscript done and say, hey, inaccuracies, what's going on here? Do you have ideas? Um, and through just that collaborative process, we started to put together, like, here's what the, here's a, here's a, you know, let's give somebody a roadmap. Let's give somebody a real guide on Here's the first step, second step, third step, fourth step, what to do. How uh, hard was that? Because I'm going to assume that, that there really isn't a one plan fits all. There's not, but there's some general. And what I talked about before, it's like you don't go straight to Google and put type in, <laughs> I'm looking for assisted living. Wait, that's not the answer? Well, it's not. And it's not the answer for a couple of reasons. One is you, know, you don't know what you need yet and you don't know what you can afford yet. So like I said, there's private pay and then – you could have something that's more of a Medicaid type of a community. So, and there's different levels. I mean, there's private paid communities that are ten, fifteen thousand dollars a month, high end, beautiful chandeliers, you know, great amenities. I, um, I just did a small little hour documentary of a, um, of a care community here in Kansas City um, that we're using for education and training. 
and we walk through all the different areas of that. So there's a, a, a continuum of care where you've got like independent living and there may be cottages or apartments, um, then shifting from that into assisted living. There's also a separate building that was memory care. Um, you, you want, you want to, you want to second guess kind of like thinking about your life, go through, go through a memory care unit to where, you know, there's, there's locks on the elevator and right. locks on the door and wristbands for tracking because people might walk away, you know? So it's just, it's like, wow, it really hits home. Um, you know, but this was a beautiful, beautiful community. It's like, I would live here. It, it, you know, I, I went in and talked to the people in the kitchen and with activities director and the executive directors giving me the tour and we pop in. I talked to four or five different residents along the way. Um, you know, they have a little bistro. It was closed because of COVID. Um, but there's people in activity and met the most wonderful woman that was in her 90s. And we had a, just a, a great conversation. Um, you know, she'd been there for three or four years. And she said, yeah, I've been here three years. Oh, my, my son's in my son's in Colorado. My my daughter's in Virginia. And I still have my house. And that's not uncommon um, because people don't know what to do. Right. I, it's filled with stuff. My adult children live somewhere else. I don't know what to do. And so mom's house, you know, came in to try to help to solve some of that problem to say, you don't have to do anything. We'll take, we'll, we'll connect you with somebody that understands what's going on, what you're going through. Um, and so j- just the, uh, that, that experience between all of that was just that inspiration for paying for long-term care. And so on the website, payingforlongtermcare.com, we have about 20 different downloads. Um, we have a third-party software tool. That's a, that's a, that's a care assessment tool. Um, this, this is one that's interesting that people don't know about. There's about $30 billion of trust funds sitting out there waiting to be claimed for people that have been exposed to asbestos. And so we put together a national agreement to have- Which is a, probably all of the boomers. Yes, right? So or, yeah, boomers or their parents, right? Or their parents. So we put together this national agreement and network to where we've, we've got a technology widget that we've created that you can take a pretty quick survey. And if you make it to the end, we can actually refer you to that network and you'll just work with them directly. But they can help you to go grab some of that money that could be available to help you to pay for care. And so that money's there and people don't realize that it's going to go away in about seven years. You know? Wow. Asbestos takes, you know, 30, 40 years, manifest itself, right? So they, these companies that had products or services or had asbestos exposure to employees, workers. Um, you know, I talk about a story in, in the, on the website that is, uh, it's about a stay-home mom that washed her clothes for her husband for 30 years, and then she developed lung cancer. And this is a true story. And she developed lung cancer because of the exposure of, on her husband's clothing. Wow. And you would never think of that because like I was never exposed to it. Right. And so if you can, if you can get connected with the right resources, there's a lot of different things there from anything to comparing communities to how to identify all my assets, how to make my house safer for my, for a senior, um, what technologies are there. I need an introduction to an elder law attorney. I'm looking for a uh, geriatric care manager. So we have those networks and those things all built out to be able to connect people together with resources and all those resources are free. A couple, a couple things as we as we wrap up this conversation here. One, I asked you, I asked you earlier what you learned, but what what is something you hope other people can learn and take take from this this research that you've done and the work you've done? What is it that that we need to know as our parents' generation hit this this point in their lives? Yeah, I think I think people need to understand this is coming, uh, whether you like it or not. You know, seventy percent of us are going to need some kind of care if we make it to sixty five. 
right? So 70%. You're going to be part of senior living, whether you like it or not. (laughs) So the best thing you can do is now is the time to prepare. And that's, and it's not an exciting topic and it's not sexy and nobody wants to say, Hey dad, you know, at some point you're going to pass away. Let's fill out this sheet that just helps me identify what all your different assets are. And we'll save this up into the cloud or we'll put it in a file cabinet or we'll do something with it. So then we know that we have that available. So those are some of the, some of the different tools in the book. This book is for anybody that's that has a family member that's 50 years or older. So it's which is a lot of us. It is a lot of us or a lot of us have, you know, that that have two generations that are that are older than that, you know, above us. So it's there, what I'm hoping that happens is that we can raise awareness for people that this is something we need to think about and we need to talk about and we need to talk about with our family members now, not at the time that you got that phone call and now we have to put mom in crisis mode and we don't know how to do any of this and we have no idea what mom wants. You know, filling out different things about what your interests are and what you like and what you you want to do and what, what your wishes are, take all the stress off of our downstream siblings or spouses to have to make decisions that we might carry guilt or feel stress over. And it could be just as simple. I mean, how much time do you plan on a vacation? Oh, weeks, months. That's right. And so all I would say is that if you're going to commit that much to this, to, to planning a vacation, just, just spend two or three hours having a conversation with your loved ones. You know, you can buy the book on Amazon. You can go to paying for longtermcare.com and purchase the ebook there. Um, Get the book, use it as a guide, use it as a platform and an excuse from a third party to be able to have hard conversations with our family uh, because it'll save a lot of stress, time, energy, and there could be some planning. You know, it's not your favorite uh, family dinner topic, but it, it needs to happen. Yeah, I'll, get, I'll give you a great ex- example. If you've got a, a family member that's, that's getting up there, and whatever that means to you, um, Moving that house into a, and, I, and I'm just going to preface this disclaimer, not attorney, not a financial planner, not an insurance broker. I'm nothing. Moving that house into a trust. And if that house sits in the trust for five years, that no longer looks like an asset when you're looking at Medicaid and you're looking at your different things. You know, they, they, if you sell a house, Medicaid does a five-year look back. Um, so that's one of those, th- there's just lots of things like that, that we can be thinking about that are simple, that can help make, you don't have to spend that. Da- I don't have to spend my asset down to qualify for Medicaid. If I just done it five years or more, then, right. it, then, then it would be exempt because it's in the trust and it's been there for five years. Now all of a sudden I still have an asset. I'm, I'm, I'm relying on the government, but if anything ever fails there, you know, it's, it's scary to think, and I'm not an economist either. I told you I was not. <laughs> but to think about, you know. Sergeant Schultz of what, this. What's go- <laughs> what, what, uh, I know nothing. I know nothing. That's right. Um, and that's a shout out. But, to by, Fra- the, by the way, that shows that we are also in that close to 50 or over. <laughs> uh, and shout out to my grandfather, Francis Aspenwall, who's passed. But it was his favorite show because he was in that war and got stuck behind enemy lines. And I don't can't think of a time that he wasn't in his recliner, smoking his pipe, watching reruns of Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> right. So, well, uh, well, uh, so planning, planning for long-term care is your book. They can find it pain, on it. Pain, 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 pain for long. I'm sorry. We've been talking about planning so much that pain for long-term care is your book. It's available on amazon.com. You can also go to painforlongtermcare.com. 
Ben, how else can people follow you? Uh, LinkedIn. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I'll, I'll Facebook friend most people. Uh, but LinkedIn's probably the best way to connect with me. Um, if you want to email me, you can certainly email me at uh, brao at pingforlongtermcare.com. And I can connect you to any of those companies or resources and be happy to help your family. Um, go out and get a copy of the book. Use it as something. It's, it's, it's not a hard read. Um, it's pretty simple. You know, we're trying to get people from not knowing anything to just at least 50%. We're not getting into clinical stuff. You know, we're going to leave that to the experts to get them from 50 to 100 uh, but it'll save you a lot of time, effort, grief, stress, um, and just a little, just a little smidge of planning and conversations could go a long way. Well, Ben, thank you uh, for coming on the show. Thanks for for writing the book, and I think bringing up a topic that I actually even personally have had a lot of people bring up that these these are things we have to talk about more is is planning for our family's future and what we're doing. And that's not just plan your retirement. That's plan what what to do as everybody ages and moves it, on to that next step. It's it's going to happen. It's inevitable. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get old. Wait a minute, aren't you already? Well, dang it, <laughs> Ben Rayo, thanks a lot for your time. We appreciate it. This was a great conversation. Thanks, that, Nick. I appreciate you having me on the show. That will wrap us up for this week. We'll talk to everybody next time.